You are listening to For the Love of God Podcast. Welcome to For the Love of God Podcast, a show for Christians that keep it real. Whether you're new to Christianity, a seasoned Christian, or dipping your toes in the baptismal water, this show is for you. Join us and strengthen your Christian walk. Play games and discover new music. This ain't your mama's Christian podcast. For the love of God! <laughs> All right. Oh. Woo, that gets me excited every I time. I know. Woo. It gives me chills. <laughs> Folks, welcome back to the show. Another episode of For the Love of God podcast. This is your host, Jason Lombrake, here as usual with Pastor Rick Rieger and Nathan Jewell. Welcome back, gentlemen. Hello, awesome hello. to be here. Another week. Looks like we have another guest as well. We do. Joining us today, folks, is Joshua K. Smith, the author of Robotic Persons, Our Future with Social Robots. Welcome to the show, Josh. Hey, thanks guys for having me. Absolutely. Joshua is actually a pastor in Mississippi. What is the name of your church? It's North Morton Baptist Church. Okay. <laughs> North Morton. North Morton. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. I like, yeah, uh, I like, a- uh, I like the way Jason's sitting there. Uh, I'm sorry. What Joshua. Is, sorry. Joshua. You are Jay- I'm you're Jason. Jason, right? Okay. I, I'm really getting confused right now. It's, it's the, to me, Jay's. Uh, <laughs> Joshua. There we go. Yeah. I mean, the way he is on the it's computer not like his stand name there, isn't big, he's, or he's kind of reminding me of Max Headroom a little bit. I mean, look, y'all don't know who Max Headroom uh, is? I do. Apparently, I am the oldest one here. You don't I know? I remember yeah. Max Fenroom. If you've yeah. ever seen, nice. if you've ever seen, uh, what is it? Um, uh, Back to the Future. They ha- on yeah. the second, the second one, the sec, uh, yeah, number two, Back to the Future two. They had a whole like going back to the eighties kind of thing, and Max Headroom played a pretty big part in that. Yeah, he was kind of like this, I don't know, not auto animated guy that was on uh, just a you know computer screen. So I was thinking mm-hmm. of that because, of course, you're talking about robotics today. And you're on that screen. Anyway, I guess my joke, if you have to explain the joke, it's not funny. Okay? So I guess we got to cut this part of the podcast. I don't know. Oh, no. We're leaving it. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to shut up and drink my coffee now. So I was uh, reading your book. Um, almost too intellectual for me. <laughs> I, do, I was digging it. I it bet. was well I was written. It. Well Na- written. Yeah, this is Nathan. He is uh, our our house nerd. Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. But it was um it no, was right. it was good. Um, what makes a human a human? The ability to reason. Is, is something that you had in there. Um, I believe it's the creation of the properties of a human, the structure and, you know, what, which starts with the day of conception. Um, it, that's the way I think about it. And I think what develops a human and the function and the thought, et cetera, is uh, I, I don't think a human becomes a human when he starts making his own decisions. And I think it's, it's when it's created. Yeah. I, I would agree with that, you know? Um, and, and I think one of the things that kind of troubles me about trying to nail down what property, you know, reason, age of majority, or, you know, age responsibility, I, 
you know, when I think about the unborn, and I think I bring this out pretty early in the book, um, like they don't have those properties, but they they clearly are, you know, biblically speaking, people, persons, and you know, but they don't have the same, at least legally speaking, they don't have the same protection that I think they should. Um, and so I think there's there's room to kind of think about, you know, putting those categories aside for a minute to think about, um, you know, how do we, since the Bible doesn't give us such strong um, categories for a person or a human, really, it's just kind of assume we know, like you know it when you see it. Um, when we think about this, we need to be very careful about the implications of what we say is a human, right? Which we, I think we're pretty clear what it is, right? We're, well, I say that, but, but when we say a person, it's broader. And so no, every, there actually no robots going to ever be a human, right? Right. Um, and I argue, like you're saying, based on the soul, that thing that comes from conception that gives life and structure and design to the body um, in, in a very mysterious way. Like we don't really understand how that comes together and happens. Um, and maybe Aquinas unlocks that, maybe he doesn't. But <clears throat> I don't know, I think there's a lot of mystery there. And uh, I think this is a good chance to really push how we thought about, um, or at least in a secular way, thought about what a human is. And, you know, are we on this path of evolution? Are we uh, really evolved from, you know, different species? And I, I don't personally believe that. Um, I think God ordered it to be a certain way. And just like, you know, conception happens. It happens by design. It's pretty simple, but it's very complex for us to try to recreate. Um, so, yeah, I think there, this conversation is weird. Because it's it's simple, but it's complex in a lot of ways. It can get complex real quick when you start trying to define, okay, which property are we going to use to say, you know, the fetus is a person now. Or, so I kind of want to bring our yeah. listeners along a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I was thinking that same thing. And Maybe uh, some are confused right now thinking, what are you guys talking about? So this is, this is actually a great starting point for those of you who are listening at home. Because today's conversation is going to be very heady. We're going to be talk, talking about some very cutting-edge topics. And we're going to be exploring some, some, some of the, the more science fiction-y aspects of, of our faith. So with that in mind, uh, our guest, Joshua, is the author of a book. Um, the book, let me see what the name of the book is. I, I bought it. I bet you Joshua knows. Yeah, what, what's the name of the book, Joshua? So I don't have to open up. Maybe yeah, you could just do a. Uh, maybe you could just kind of tell us just a little bit. Tell mm -hmm. the listeners mainly because we know, but tell the listeners. You know what? What is it that you were trying to get across in this book? Yeah, well, the book's called "Robotic Persons: Our Future with Social Robot," um, and it kind of launched out of my um, research about AI and robots and. All that stuff. And so basically what I was trying to do is show the Christian world that robots, specifically social robots yeah, that, that are made to engage with us emotionally, are a concern that we should care about, right? And so I think a lot of the, the current thinking about it is it's not something we have to worry about because those type of robots will never exist. Um, and so we were talking about a very specific robot, but those robots do exist. And so I, I tried to, in the book, introduce people to a lot of research that you're, you're not just going to 
come across unless you're looking for it. And so I look at three major areas of development research that currently exists and is, you know, developing at a breakneck pace uh, in work, you know, automation of work and AI and those type of robots also in war and defense. What are we using to fight and defend um, our country and what are other countries using, but also in sex and companionship. So mm. those are three main areas that uh, research is being done and scholars are pushing and advancing. And so this is, um, it's a small world as far as like the body of scholarship, but it's, it's growing really fast. And the innovation is, it's going so fast that people aren't really having time to think about and contemplate the ethics of what they're doing and, and what they're creating. And so um, in a lot of ways, it's uh, kind of taking Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and asking, you know, is this something we should create? And what are the ethical implications of creating these type of robots that will work in these areas with us and uh, interact with us in a social way? Uh, and how might that harm us? And what are some steps we could take as the public to um, protect one another uh, as being made in the image of God mm. and what that means um, and what that doesn't mean, but also um, how we might be informed legally to, to vote as consumers and all those things. So that's why I wrote the book. Um, so yeah, it sounded to me, it, maybe I could rephrase this. I, I, it sounds to me as if you are basically kind of reaching out to the evangelical church uh, you know, and saying, "Hey, look, you don't. If you don't get involved in this now, you may, you know, things may progress without your input." So it sounded like right. you were saying, yeah. "Hey, let's get informed. Let's understand what's going on, so that we can at least participate, and not just watch it happen." Does that sound accurate? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and um, Jason Thacker at the ERLC Ethics Religious Liberty Commission in Nashville is a, a Southern Baptist. Um, arm of our denomination that is involved in some of these issues. And they actually got together in 2019 and wrote a statement of principles. So I encourage everybody to go look that up. And that's, I, I engage with it in the book, as you guys know. And it was a great starting place for us as evangelicals and Christians to really begin to think about this. It was the first time in history, I think, we've been proactive in addressing an issue of this, this size. And so I read that document and uh, I wanted to respond to it as well. And so this is kind of my response to it. And, and Jason's a friend um, and, and we talk, we, we're, we're concerned about different branches of AI, but we, we enter different ways as well. And so I wanted to build on that work as well and um, kind of put some, some gears and meat on the bones, so to speak, to what they're doing and try to help and um, but also it's, it's been a bridge to a world that of scholarship I would never have ever thought that I would be invited to. And so there are scholars in Turkey, in Poland, in the Netherlands, in South Africa, who are reading this research and are promoting it, <laughs> uh, which I, th I think is quite interesting uh, because I'm very open about my faith in the book and what I think about Jesus and, and scripture and how all that informs my worldview. But they're also extending a hand to me and saying, we want you to be a part of this, this movement. 
which is not what I thought would happen at all. Hmm. And it's been the opposite, right? Like Christians have been kind of, I, I want to say a little bit dismissive of this issue until I can explain to them why I wrote the book. And then they start to say, oh, okay, so you're not a crazy person. So to speak. <laughs> I mean, maybe a little bit, but you know, it's like, um, I'm not out here just trying to give uh, legal rights to Roombas or anything like that. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. You laugh, you laugh, but people people think that, and you know that people always bring up the Roomba. Like you want to set all the Roombas free. I'm like, not not really, um, <laughs> unless it has to be set free. I guess I'm not, I'm not sure, but I'm going to lean into what Jason said earlier as the resident nerd. I've I've always I've, I've actually read Ray Kurzweil's The Singularity Is Near. Um, I'm kind of mm. into this line of thinking. I'm, I'm familiar with Asimov and the three laws. Wow. You really are a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so Sorry, could, I've always been help. into science fiction and fantasy. So, um, to kind of bring this idea home, we're going to be seeing more and more robots. And this is something that as a community, the Christian community has not necessarily had much of a voice into. And I'm really curious how did you come into this community? Where, how, how did God bring you into this? Uh, well, it's kind of a long story, but um, so I programmed robots in high school for the Nissan plant, which is about 40 minutes from where I live here. It's a big plant. Like that um, was your high school job? Well, it was a volunteer um, kind of learning partnership with the high school okay because i'm because uh, i worked at mcdonald i flipped burgers in high school and here you're programming <laughs> robots i wow i feel totally yeah please continue no i didn't get, i didn't get paid for it um, <laughs> but i did yeah i barely got paid at mcdonald's either so yeah. <laughs> we won't go there continue on sorry but yeah it was um it was really interesting and, and i'm an introvert um at heart and uh, so there's something about the machines that kind of draws you in if that's kind of how you're wired because it's, you know, it's very, it's very passive. It'll, you know, it does what you tell to do. Um, and not the, that I'm some kind of, you know, sadist or whatever, but it's just really interesting to me how it works. And I kind of connect with it in a way. Um, and it doesn't annoy you or it's not going to ask you questions. It's just going to leave you alone, let you work. Um, so anyway, I did that and, um, I worked with a couple systems in the military that were really fascinating and partially AI driven. And so that was kind of where I left off in my um, connectedness with robots in a way. And I uh, never didn't really think about it for a long time. And then doing PhD work, I, I came across a couple different shows. Uh, one was humans in the BBC channel four show, which is a wonderful examination of, of robots that I'm talking about in the book and, and how they interact in our, in our lives and how they may cause problems and um, issues of regulation and governance and stuff like that. Um, so I highly recommend that one versus the other one that got me also interested is uh, Westworld. And, and Westworld <clears throat> did a great job of kind of exploring some of the, the ethical issues of, of how companies take advantage uh, like the, the coercion and all these different things that they're going to be used for, which is what we should, should be concerned about as we just look around and, and see how big tech takes advantage for monetary means. And so 
Um, I think Westworld's a little bit um, exaggerated, right? It's very exaggerated. It's very much, you know, they, they push a lot of sexuality. And so I don't recommend it for those reasons, but um, kind of the premise behind it and using that data to manipulate and, and drive economic gain, I, I think it, it got a lot of things right. But so anyway, uh, I was just kind of curious. I studied philosophy of mind early on and kind of wanted to pursue that. And so I got a chance to, to study AI and I just approached one of my professors and said, Hey, would you want to do a directed reading with me? And he said, I would die to do this. I've been, you know, I'm just so sick of reading the same topics. And so we, we did that and uh, spent about six months doing research and then took that research and started writing my dissertation. Uh, the next nine months I spent doing that and that's what became the book. So, yeah. So, and here we are. Go ahead, Rick. I'll let you, cause I got tons of questions. I uh, busy so I was just, I was just sitting here thinking, you know, a lot of our listeners are, uh, you know, they're not, they haven't read the book obviously. And I did get through the majority of it. Um, and, and sped read what <laughs> is that a word? Sped read. Is that right? I don't Good know. Enough. Yeah. Speed yeah, read. It sped is now. <laughs> yeah. As much as I could, uh, before the show. And, uh, what I, I, I can imagine a lot of people out there thinking, you know, I mean, isn't this something that's, you know, we don't have to worry about. I mean, this is going to happen in like the year 3015 or something, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, how close do you think we are to really having to make some of these choices? In other words, do you have, do you know of any examples of like, you know, I don't know, um, I want to say more cutting edge robots, you know, I, things that aren't Roombas and, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing? Yeah, there's tons of robots that I mentioned in the book. Um, I mean, let's take, for example, Sophia. The uh, Hanson Robotics uh, robot that was granted um, legal, no, she was granted citizenship, you know, quote unquote, in Saudi Arabia, right? So very much like a a political statement, right? You know, most women don't have you know, voting rights and stuff like that, so it's kind of offensive. But the issue isn't whether or not I think we're we're close to like whether or not Sophia is going to be sentient or you know like she's aware of her surroundings and she's going to, she's reached this new advanced level of AI and all that is just kind of this, there's this mysterious cloud around it that people don't understand, but here's what we need to understand as a public. All that is like magic. That's how they want you to view AI. Like it's some type of magic voodoo Santeria type stuff. <laughs> and that's just not what it is. Right. So behind every program, there's a person, a human, Mm -hmm. And behind every person are resources and materials that are embodied that we dig up and mine from the earth. We take that, we use electricity. We, all this stuff is embodied, has a real cost on our day-to-day -day life. Um, you know, like the cloud is not in a cloud, right? It's in servers out in, in the middle of fields, just right. fields and fields of servers, right? So this stuff isn't just magically going somewhere. In the same way with AI and robotics, it doesn't just magically happen. Um, and, and I think the type of robots that I'm talking about in the book, maybe, I don't know, 40, 50 years, maybe, I don't know. It could be, could be sooner. Uh, the, the issue is not when will it happen? The issue is when are we going to start thinking about regulations and when are we start thinking about policies because people are already being affected by these robots. Right. Um, I mean, just take, for example, Amazon having to work with these certain machines that are being produced to replace them and repurpose them which is, as i say in the book i'm more concerned about the repurposing than the replacing 
because if they were mm. just meant to replace us, then we're going to take some different job. You know, we're going to, you know, we'll move to something else, just like ATMs and bank tellers. Mm. That doesn't concern me as much as the repurposing, you know, like you're now meant to work like a machine. You, you know, and I think Amazon has really perfected that because, you know, you have people using the bathroom in bags and Gatorade bottles. If you actually look at the inside of the plants and stuff, there's clocks literally everywhere. You know, every place you go, you clock in, you clock out. They monitor every single moment of your time there. Um, you know, and machines don't care about that type of stuff. You and, use the word dehumanization in your book. Mm, uh, I, that's mm-hmm. That's something that I, I think that the audience should keep in mind because there is a real concern here about dehumanizing people over these robots. And I think everybody yeah. here could, has worked at a job where perhaps you've been replaced. Um, mm. Technology has pushed you out of your work. And if that's ever happened to you, you can see how this can happen on a larger scale and create that dehumanization that Joshua is, is trying to help us address now. Um, but yeah, please continue. I just want to kind of bring the, the listener along with us. No, that's good. Thank you guys. You're, you're helping me. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, that's my biggest concern is that, you know, we, we make technology to, to help us, so to speak, right. To, to help us innovate. And all of this is kind of pushing, especially in the work sector, you know, people are arguing that, well, we'll replace ourselves, repurpose ourselves, and then we'll have more leisure time. Now, as you guys know, um, I have a little bit of issue with that because, you know, in Genesis 1 through 3, we kind of see the, the purpose of work. And the purpose of work is, is not to be, you know, handed over or subverted or substituted, mm-hmm. right? I think work is a good thing for us. It gives us purpose and identity. Not that we, we wrap ourselves in that, but that, you know, as pastors, we see so many people, once they retire, what happens? They, they go through an identity crisis. Um, when people transition from high school to college, they go through identity crises because that's who we, just as humans, we wrap ourselves up in what we do, who we are, who we associate with. And, and I think that's a, a natural God-given thing. Uh, now we're supposed to wrap ourselves around, you know, belonging to God and the person of God and his attributes and his goodness and kindness and all those things. But we, we tend to immediately from the beginning want to kind of redefine what that purpose is and our desires kind of lead us down this, this path. And um, we know that biblically as idolatry. And, and I think a lot of ways that it's connected to, to what we're trying to do with these robots. Now, do I think they can be used for good? Absolutely. I think technology can be a good that we use for God's kingdom. I think um, even some of these robots, yeah, I think they could definitely help in kingdom expansion in some ways. Uh, just like we use technology right now, and many of us as pastors had to use over the last year during COVID. Like if, if it wouldn't have been for that technology, we wouldn't have had you know, a way to communicate with our church members and at least give them some extension of, of Bible teaching and grace and prayer and all those things. But it also can begin to, to harm us, right, if, if it becomes a, a substitute. And, and I think in some ways, the makers are doing that. There, there are some, especially in the sex and companionship um, 
and even in warfare like that that is the main focus is to replace the human in those realms and for us as christians and i think just the whole war aspect in general um it it disturbs me right like i don't don't want to propagate more war and the whole process of combat is dehumanizing right you have to see the enemy as less than human um but also with sexuality you know it's i think a lot of us especially in today's world we view sex as a right like it's it's a god-given right to us or it's a, a right that we have to have like it's a it's a legal right and i don't think that's true and i think the way that a lot of people approach it is that well the disabled have a right so let's make them you know a, a sexual companion or um pedophiles have a right to act out on their fantasies or whatever fetish or um you know deviance that you might have and so uh, i don't think that's the answer but we see robots um especially ai as just kind of like technology that's slowly creeping into our life we don't have much control over it it's creeping in to to fix our issues and it's being sold to us that it's it's going to you know alleviate this problem or it's going to you know fill in these gaps in our lives so that we can have more time to consume and do the things we really want to do which i think covid really kind of proves that that's not the reality that we want. We don't want to just be, well, for me, I'll say personally for me and for the people that I interacted with in Mississippi and different places, most people want to go to work and to fulfill their purpose, whatever that is. And whether that's, you know, being a teacher, pastor, doctor, it's not just about the money that we make and that value that we have in society, but it's also about our fulfillment from doing what we feel like we're called to do and and maybe not everybody loves their job like i like i love mine but they do feel satisfaction by earning and um there's dignity. contributing yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and in, in relationships with other humans mm-hmm. right yeah and i think uh in a society with so many ways to entertain ourselves so many leisure activities it's it's almost like we're we're almost consumed with the need to have leisure uh anything that takes us to where we have more and more of that is just it can't be dangerous. good it gets very dangerous absolutely and i can certainly you know i in in reading your book it was the whole idea of using robotics to satisfy human pleasure to uh to treat pedophilia to you know uh help out you know people with developmental disabilities that that was actually very very disturbing and as a church you know i think we should get involved in those kind of discussions because it seems like you know god has given us so much creativity he's made us that way he's a creator he made us creative and he's given us a lot of resources where we can do really cool things you know we can send a man to the moon. We can put people in outer space. Pretty cool, right? But we can take technology too far. You know, we start try. what was it that we uh, were talked about? Uh, it might've been even in our interview, uh, we talked about somebody was trying to splice uh, an animal yeah. with uh, something else. What was it? You told us. It was a, a monkey 
embryo and a human embryo they were trying to splice together. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. I mean, you know, I, I've I, seen that movie. It doesn't end well. It's not a movie. <laughs> <laughs> You've never seen Planet of the Apes? Oh, yeah, I saw that. The is that how they did it? It doesn't end well. I didn't, exactly. It doesn't end well. I didn't watch but it. But that's very disturbing. And I think as a, you know, as a church, we should be, you know, saying, hey, you know, should we really be spending our time and effort and money and resources and creativity on something so foolish? Uh, you know, yeah. and focus maybe on better things. Yeah, and certainly right. I I agree with you that uh, these are not ways to solve pedophilia. That's a you know an issue of the heart, an issue of the mind. It's not going to be solved by giving them a robot to you know. So there's there's also there's a whole lot of different theological issues that are real, right? That need to be addressed in this conversation. So Joshua, I really appreciate you kind of stepping out and leading the way on on this topic because. I think in many ways the evangelical community has been left behind um, largely because of their own, their own decision not to engage. Um, so I'm glad you're out there you're having these conversations with, with technologists to kind of push forward the, the perspective of God in this. I, I really appreciate in his book, he, he mentions the Amago um, Deo and the, the image of God that we're designed in. So uh, I highly recommend the book. Pick it up. Uh, it'll be well worth your read. It's going to stretch you a little bit. You're going to learn a lot of new terminology if you're not real familiar with this stuff. Yeah, I had to look up it's the definition scholarly. for or the uh, Imago Dale, Dale, Dale. <laughs> Image of God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I had to look that up four times when I was reading. <laughs> I was like, wait, what was that again? Oh, yeah. Wait, wait, what was that again? <laughs> I want to tell a good our readers, word, though. I want to tell our readers, uh, Joshua here is no dummy. In fact, I had to look up a few words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was actually very well written, very intelligent. Very. Uh, uh, one question I have that uh, I think our listeners might have, uh, one of the uh, things that you talk about in your book is that giving, there's benefit. What you is from what I understand, there's benefit. What you're saying to to assigning personhood to a robot, not humanity, but personhood. Right? Could you maybe just mm-hmm. explain, you know, maybe even why that's necessary? What what advantage would there be for us to assign personhood to a robot? Yeah. So, I mean, this is a, a legal term that I'm using here, and I think right, like like you all reading it. Um, when I first started studying this and when my professor began to ask me, you know, what's the difference between a person and a human? My answer was, I, I don't know that there is a difference, you know, and, um, and very quickly I found out that was poorly informed. And so, um, yeah, it, person is not defined. Like you're not going to find a definition in the Bible. Um, even human, you're not going to find it because we're, it's not written in that vein, right? It's not, it's just God is, this is a reality. Humans are, Mm -hmm. he made it, so on. And we submit to that. I I submit to that. But um, when we think about personhood, and what I'm talking about in the book is a legal term. And so I I try to define, and this is also something I'm working on now, is trying to define that more. When I talk about persons, I'm talking about characters in a story. And so we understand everything well, most things um, through the character of God. And I think that's why the Imago Dei is so important, why, how we understand ourselves in this story right. that we're living is that God gives us meaning. God gives us morality. He is the foundation. Even though we, we've never seen him, um, we experience him through a story. And so we understand ourselves in relation to that story 
and and Jesus and others in the Bible, they're all are all part of God's story. And so that gives us a foundation. So it's a character, right? And so it could be a lot of different things. In scripture, there's, you know, donkeys, there's, you know, people who are evil, people who um who act like animals, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and there's axe heads, there's uh, the wind. And, and yet in some ways that's personification, but if you look up the root of the word person, it, it means, you know, to put on a face, right? It's a, a theater language. So to put on a, a face, to be a character in a story. Mm. Um, and I think that's helpful for us because even in, in legal terms, there's, there's four different types of persons. So you have moral personhood, you have legal personhood, you have psychological and relational. And so in the book, I'm specifically talking about legal personhood. And a legal person could be a corporation, could be a, um, a statue, could be a tree, could even be an animal. Um, and, and this type of personhood is not granted, you know, one and for all, right? And so it, it's on a case-by-case basis. Uh, there has to be a reason for granting it. And so that's kind of what I'm getting at when I talk about robotic persons. I don't like we're if I if we decide that is the route that we want to go as humans, which we could make that decision. That's a route we want to go for legal reasons to grant robots personhood. It wouldn't be all robots now have personhood, right? Like not Roombas. Um, <laughs> you know, so just, to the I, audience. I'm, I, yes. I, don't, I don't want to lose the audience here as well, because I know we're talking about some heady stuff. Um, he's talking about a solution to the problem, but I don't know that we've really discussed what the problem mm. is. So would you mind yeah. focusing on that for a moment yeah. so that the, the listeners can follow along and be a part of this conversation? That's good. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so the problem is, how do we assign blame when a robot behaves badly, right? And so the robots that we've seen interact in factories, um, even self-driving cars would technically fit into this category. Like when you have two users, you have a human and a robot interacting together and both are making decisions, right? It doesn't have to be advanced, doesn't have to be um, fully aware of everything. It's just a robot is it's making decisions based on its inputs and based upon sensors and all these things. So that's loosely what a robot is although you could ask a bunch of different roboticists what is a robot and you would get a bunch of different answers okay certainly um yeah uh, and so sometimes people ask me you know well, what's the difference between um my car and the robots that you're talking about and this is the most important aspect uh, is that these robots that i'm talking about are the ones who are going to make some type of decision now Technically, yes, that could be a rumor. It does make a decision, but we're talking about human-robot interaction, right? We're talking about large-scale harm, you know. To the people at and home, so, think about it. Mm-hmm. If you're you're working with a robot that has an arm on it, and that arm is making decisions based on programming, and you're working mm-hmm. alongside of it, what happens if you get injured? Who's to blame? Who picks up the tab for your injury? These are the things that are, are, are coming down the line that we have to be able to think to get ahead of. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves uh, in this legal 
I don't even know what word I want to use. It, it's basically it, it's it's going to be bad because you're not going to have you're going to have corporations attempting to dodge um, and using their their vast resources to to dodge any sense of responsibility. Right. They'll try to send the robot to jail. That's that's right. Well, this has happened. Um, two men just died test driving a self driving Tesla. They were in a cul de sac. They hit a tree. They both. It was a terrible accident. The the car was absolutely. You couldn't even tell it was a car. In a cul-de-sac? Yeah. This hey, thing was see, moving. See, the cars use sensors, and they use the lines on the road to be able to steer. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, in a cul-de-sac, you don't have those lines. So when it got uh, into that neighborhood, it just went crazy and, and just destroyed this, itself the into a tree. Too. They were drunk, and they weren't in the proper seating. So. One guy was in the back seat. One guy was in the passenger seat. Yep. Uh, what's his name? The, what's his name? Who are you thinking of, Musk? Uh, Musk. He's, yeah. He yeah. says that the car wasn't engaged into autopilot. However, there was one guy in the back seat and one guy in the, in the passenger <laughs> seat. Obviously, the car was engaged in autopilot. <laughs> These were engineers, people. They know how to get past this stuff. Yeah. And yeah. so my question is, okay, A, who's responsible? Musk. Well, at least his corporation. Yeah, his corporation. We think. But my question is, why are they test driving this car in a public street mm-hmm. when you should have a controlled environment with no no possible injuries? And remember, crash test dummies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, use crash test dummies. Put a crash test dummy. Good point. If if, if it's going to be a self driving car where you don't have to do anything but relax. Well, people are going to be people from now till the end of time. I, I then put a dummy. There in. is some. There is some responsibility to the people who were who were the engineers who override this, who overrode the systems to make it happen. But the problem is still what Josh was talking about: is these robots like this? Who, who, who's to blame when something goes bad? So exactly. now this is my. This is kind of what my first question was: is now what would be the advantage? of say say assigning personhood to one of these cars does that mean now the car is guilty and we send the car to jail uh does you know what does that mean what does that look like yes. so if you if you go back and look through roman law and just kind of go back we've actually done that like we've blamed uh pigs we've blamed um varmints plagues have been sued in the court of law throughout history wow <laughs> it's really wild yeah it's it's happened so we we don't want to like you're saying kind of go down that avenue so to speak um but we want to have some way to have some type of mutual responsibility where there is a responsibility gap and so it does create this gap right like you guys are talking about and so how do we address that gap and so like i said this is this would be on a case by case basis to where um and I don't even have like a case study or anything like that. So how it's going to be used in the court of law. And if, and if you guys don't know, the law is always open to interpretation. It's up to the judge and the jury to decide based on case studies, based on how the law has been traditionally interpreted, how to apply it. And so we always want a black and white answer, but you're never going to get that, especially in the West. Um, the whole issue with this and where we start and why I, I wrote this book and others have written on this topic is we need to start thinking about how do we 
how do we organize regulatory bodies? Who's going to be involved in the process of regulation? Not we're going to write the rules, we're going to, you know, write the code and all that stuff. I think we need to do that. And like you're saying, just try to discern who's responsible. But as we're waiting for that, there are already people being hurt. Tesla is a good example. Amazon's a good example. Injuries are way up. The more automation is incorporated, the more harm happens, physical harm. Um, 2006, a lady was hit in the head by a robotic arm and killed. Um, and that, her spouse had to sue five different corporations to get any type of legal, you know, action. Like, that's, that's unacceptable. Yeah. Uh, you've lost your, your spouse. A harm has been done, but now they're able to kind of have this corporate shield. And so one potential benefit, not just of having something to blame, but I think it's twofold. One, if you give it personhood, you could also give it some type of monetary means. And so now it's, it's kind of punishing the company a little bit, giving them more incentive to be careful with what they produce, because now they're going to have to give it some type of finances now not voting rights or anything like that but maybe it, it's now punishable maybe that those that incomes comes from the, the entity and that i think will kind of soften the, the draw from the corporation to say no no we're not you know we're going to find some legal loophole to get out of this um, but even on a psychological level um maybe that robot's decommissioned you know maybe it's it's taken out as a means of um helping that person heal. I know that's, that's a smaller one, but the biggest one is making sure that um, somebody's hurt or somebody is unable to work and those type of things, that they have um, access to financial help, um, that the corporation isn't just say, well, it, you know, it made a decision. I, don't, I can't do anything about it and we don't understand it, et cetera. And, and a lot of these companies are very hush hush about their their algorithms and all that stuff like you know chick-fil-a is not going to give you the secret sauce um <laughs> and all that stuff and so they're they're very much like that and um and so some of this would hopefully push into that and say no you have to you have to reveal as much as you know um and so in a way it's it's kind of a an avenue to protect humans. And so maybe it, it gives more restrictions onto what the entity can do and cannot do. Um, and so one of the ways that I like to think about it that might be helpful is say we have companies make sex robots that which they are right. Um, what if, you know, so in, in essence, what you're doing is you're, you're creating an entity to be, to be harmed, right? That's, that's what it is. It's a sex worker. Mm -hmm. And so shouldn't have to give consent, right? Are we, are we advocates of force? No, we're not. And so you shouldn't make it have to give consent. If it's, it's a person that has some type of legal rights, um, it should at least have that right, right? And so um, you know, in some ways, that's, I guess, washing, uh, ethical washing, um, tricking um, to try to get, an outcome that I want, but um, in reality, what's going to happen is it's going to create more sex work because there's going to be a handler for the robot. It's not going to replace sex workers. There's going to, and this has already happened in Europe, um, where they have 
dolls. They have brothel dolls. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to have a worker there, the doll, right? And I, personally, I don't think that they're ever going to be so, at least in our lifetime, so sophisticated that, you know, it's going to be like Westworld or anything like that. Um, I, I think they're going to be very good at doing one particular task. And, um, and I think they're going to have to have human counterparts. Um, and so going back to Elon Musk, he, (laughs) yeah, he tried to automate an entire factory. And so if everything goes right, sure, it can work, but he learned very quickly that if one small, um, misalignment or imprecision is made, then it messes up the whole process. Mm. So that's why we don't have fully automated factories right now on top of cost. But, you know, it's hard to believe that Amazon couldn't afford it. Oh, they can afford so, it. So, yeah, there has to be a reason to have human workers and counterparts. They're right? more reliable. Yeah. And we can do simple things. We can't calculate as fast and other things, but we can do a simple thing that would cause a robot to stumble. Right. Um, so. Well, we, and we can make decisions to get things back on track. That's the right. key. You know, shut, we can, shut down the line. Right. We've got to make some make, adjustments yeah, and then get back to work. We can be creative. We can think things Rather through and, right. and make adjustments and get things back on track. Yeah. I mean, I, I was dealing with, I guess, a kind of a robot program, uh, the CNC. Um, we, we write a program to the machine which was on tape back then. I don't know what it is now. Um, it would send the program to where the tools are. You put your steel in or, or whatever you're working with, and the machine would pick the tool and cut and mill and do everything for you to exact precision. And it worked out great. No one got hurt. A lot of safety measures. Um, it was all contained. It was impossible to get hurt. But now they have these things, you know, they're moving around all over the place. Wouldn't you think that the people that provide the robots or maybe even the people that are using the robots, say Amazon, for example, one of those two entities would, I think, would need to carry some kind of insurance. It's like, if you want your machines in our factory, you have to supply insurance for it that you pay for. And if any of my employees get hurt, injured, uh, or Most even people. killed, your insurance company is going to pay out such and such sum. So therefore, it's covered. It's, it's, under, it's under this uh, insurance umbrella. Well, it sounded like that's what he was saying, you know, right. sign it a certain amount of money, which, you know, could be an insurance policy or whatever, but there's some responsibility there that they can't worm their way out of and weasel their way out of. So imagine yeah. if you have a robot that that robot has saved the company a million dollars by not having to have a, an employee. And the, uh, there's a certain portion of that money that's set aside for litigation purposes that's accessible if the robot makes a mistake mm-hmm. because of the decision matrix and because of the, um, because of the, uh, what's the, 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 it starts with an A and it's the, uh, the programming behind the scenes. Cannot think of the, the word all of a sudden. 
<laughs> I hate when that can't happens. help you out. Are you still there, Josh? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. 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 Good. You're. Um, yeah. Your screen's my, like my internet's not the greatest right now. <laughs> Algorithm was the word. Algorithm. Algorithm. Yeah. Find that word to save my life. Yeah. Now I will be honest. This whole conversation is uh, made me realize how much uh, I don't want to get a Roomba now. I mean, you know. Besides my <laughs> now, I know my wife's going to slap me, but uh, they're pretty you know, harmless. I I'll be honest with you. I, you know, my wife is a lot better looking than Roomba when she's behind a. A broom? A vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and, you know, I bet she thinks the same about me when I'm behind the vacuum cleaner. So I think, you know, we just... Every woman likes to see her guy doing work, right? Absolutely. So, you know, I know that that's got to be pretty attractive for, you know, seeing me push the vacuum. So I, I wouldn't want to take that away from her. I was, I was ironing clothes, and Catherine thought it looked sexy. You know, there's... It, it, <laughs> On that note, Josh, are you back with us? <laughs> are you still there? We can't hear you. All right, we'll give him a moment to see if we can get that rectified. Darn those tornadoes. But I do want to stress the ideas that he's talking about. These are not far-off ideas. There are currently, he mentioned brothel robots. That technology is being used and being looked at as a possible yeah. solution for things like pedophilia. Right. Where, well, hey, maybe we can just satisfy these, these urges of, uh, of these deviancies and... They won't, they won't hurt other kids, but that's not how humanity works. No, yeah. I think it makes it worse. It yeah. does. Because it's, it's like, like drugs. It's like you're, you start out with a, a low-grade drug, and it's like, oh, this is awesome. This is awesome. Also, next thing. You're into the hard you, stuff. You're into the hard stuff because it's not quite as awesome anymore. Yeah. So you, um, have to, you need something more, and you need someone. And then they're going to start off with these dolls to, to um, you know, fulfill themselves, and then it's not going to be enough. They need the real thing. And well, it, it and even these, even, and, and it might even cause more because you've been feeding this. Right, this exactly. I, I actually saw a, a program once. It was just, and and it caught my eye because they were talking about these machines, and I'm like, okay, you know, it caught my curiosity. And they were saying basically these things just they don't replace; they only add to, and they make people desire something even more. And because they're not human, they lack. You know, they lack some of the things that we need. So they're just making it so that these people want more and more and more. And, uh, you know. So speaking of these brothel robots and what you're talking about there, his idea of giving personhood, which is a legal term, not we're not saying that these robots are alive, but by designating them with personhood, you can basically create the idea where even robots have to give consent in order to not be abused because there is a very high level of potential for violence toward uh, the equipment, which could then manifest toward other people because we've been feeding these urges that previously were not able to be satiated. Right. Exactly. Well, I certainly think that, uh, you know, one thing that uh, his book really opened my eyes to is the fact that, you know, we, we sometimes as a church, we want to, and when I say a church, I'm not talking about like a local expression. I'm not talking about, you know, East Side Baptist Church. I'm talking about the church in general, um, the body of Christ. Sometimes we like to sort of put our head in the sand when it comes to certain issues. We, you know, just kind of let things happen. We want to we wanna take the easy route. And sometimes, you know, we need to stand up and say, look, we need to have a voice here. You know, we need to kind of help guide things in the right way. And so, uh, yeah, his book kind of opens up 
that uh, that issue that maybe it's time for us to get involved in not only this area but other areas. And I was kind of hoping to be able to ask him about this. Like, uh, haven't we already lost a, a seat at the table? Why, why are we not having as much influence on the culture? And much to what Rick was just saying, it's because we have taken a backseat. Right. If we, if we get in, involved in the culture, you're going to create conflict. You know, we talked about this in Bible study recently mm-hmm. where Christ said he came and he knows as a result of his coming that it's going to create conflict. And that's something where we need not be afraid of that conflict. That's something we're supposed to lean into as part of our calling. Certainly. Certainly. Yeah, we need to be willing to stand up for the truth in that. Uh, so, yeah, his book kind of points out that, you know, even though eh, we might be a few years away, we might not. Certainly these issues obviously are coming up already. And as Christians, we need to, to realize that, hey, we, we can make the world better by, you know, speaking our peace, speaking our mind. I wish I had one that had some type of robotic flavor to it. Oh, oh, oh. oh. here Is we go. Back? He's on the way. He's walking down the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest just had to take a potty break. <laughs> Joshua, you're with us? Looks like he's trying. We'll give him a moment. Is he currently muted? No. No. Okay. It just takes a minute. And Joshua, if you can hear us, you're more than welcome to keep your video off if you think it'll help your... Uh, your internet connection, because um, it is a podcast after all. Um, that, Although I was kind of enjoying that whole Max Headroom thing I had going on. <laughs> I know it's not my, funny my, my to Max you, head, but headroom. Um, <laughs> the robot guy on a computer. Oh, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's having some issues. Technically. Yeah, it's that Mississippi internet. <laughs> What's, whatever that means. <laughs> it means, I don't even know. That Mississippi. When I, remember I told you about I thought Israel was just sand and clay houses? Well, I think Mississippi is just swamps and... <laughs> swamps and bad internet. There's really. no cities. It's just swamps <laughs> and bad internet. <laughs> hey, folks. Unfortunately, we lost Josh due to technical difficulties. However, he will be back next week for part two. Please enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you. All right. So now it's time for, uh, what is it time Song for, Jason? Song of the Week. Song Songs of the Week. Songs of the Week. Is that what you said? Song of the Week. All right. Well, I have a good Song of the Week. In fact, uh, I, I really put some thought into it this week, and I really wanted to like go with something current and interesting and new and fresh. And, man, I'll tell you what. My oh. and my heart went back to an older song <laughs> from probably, I don't know, 2008, maybe. I don't know. But just a fantastic song and a band we haven't heard much from lately. So I have to bring it up. The band is Stellar Cart and the song Jesus Loves You. Awesome, awesome song. I've loved that song for, well, since it's been out. And uh, it really just, uh, it speaks to me. Because all of us, as, if, as Christ followers, if you've ever tried to talk to someone about Jesus that doesn't really want to hear it, it can be, it can be hard. It can be tough. 
You know, Jesus says your our, our number one goal in life as a Christ follower should be to make disciples. And we want to do that. And we know that without Jesus, these loved ones, these friends, they're they're not going to heaven. They're going to go to a very real place called hell. And this song really just is talking about uh, a guy who has tried everything in his power to reach somebody, and he's kind of come to the conclusion, you know, you're just not going to listen to me, and I don't know what to tell you. And uh, he says some, and I'll give you, share a few words here. He says, um, I can't make it clearer, put it any other way, if you can't see the simple truth I do, then there's nothing in this world that's left to say, but Jesus loves you. Nice. You know, he's just really come to the end of his rope here. And in fact, in the second verse, he says, I, I know I don't have all the answers, and I have wasted many chances to prove to you a faith that lives inside. I'm praying there will be a breakthrough, because I can't be the one to save you. God knows how many times I've tried. I can't explain, but I can't deny so many times for you I've cried, and to see you on your knees tonight would make, you know, basically make my world. And then he says, goes on to say, I can't make it any clearer any other way. If you don't get the simple truth, Jesus loves you is all I can say. Pretty That's awesome. Stuff. Yeah, it is awesome. And musically, it's pretty enticing as well. So check it out. Stellar cart. For sure. All right, I guess I'll go next. So I have, uh, I have purposely avoided Toby Mac songs because uh, I am not, I'm too big of a fan, so there's like a lot of them that I could choose from and I could probably just overdo it. But I'm actually going to pick one this week. That's a Toby Mac song. It's called Steal My Show. It is probably one of the most humble songs I have ever heard where the humility of his approach, like, yeah, I'm going out here to do this for you, Lord, but if you've got something bigger you want to do, just do it. And that mentality and that humility, if we bring that humility into our own lives, God can do big and amazing things through us. So that's the, the song I would like. What's you it to, called again? It's called Steal My Show. Steal My Show. I'll be honest, I know a lot of Toby Mac stuff. I've seen him live, but I don't know that song. So going to have to check it out. Yeah. So my song is brand new. It's a Brand week old. New. It's a week old. Oh, uh, Elevation Worship just came out with a new album, and it is absolutely fantastic. And the name of the album is Old Church Basement, and the name of the song is Old Church Basement. <laughs> the title track. The title track, and it's absolutely fantastic. Um, the lyrics say, uh, "I don't see anything wrong with the lights or the stages." I even love it when the crowd gets loud singing out God's praises, but every now and then it can get a little complicated. So I remember when I was in that old church basement singing hallelujah is all I need. When I think of your goodness and your love for me, oh, the joy of my salvation is coming back to me. It's just an old hallelujah. It's just an old hallelujah with a new melody. Very interesting lyrics. Yeah, that's it, a cool idea it, it's a song. great song. He has a raspy, soulful voice, and it 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 brought it put a smile on my face when I came on. I'm like, wow, I was pretty excited. I'd actually like to push that into our worship if we could. I, Do looking. I? I sense there's like a hint, 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 hint somewhere. It'd be fun to wink, play. Wink, wink. No, and I'll definitely check it out. I might even like to sing it. 
<laughs> gonna get out that raspy yes. voice. Can you sing and play drums at the same time? I don't know. Go, Phil. Go, Phil. I'd have to practice. <laughs> I have a headset for you. I'm starting to think we're not going to get him back, gentlemen. It's uh, possible. It's possible. 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 I have to check that song out. Yeah, there's a lot of truth. You know, there it is complicated today. Uh, in a day and age when you know we sort of taken church into sort of the entertainment realm. Um, you know, and I was back back in the early day. I mean, I was one of the big proponents of you know seeker sensitivity and and making sure we do music that's relevant to the community. But it's like in a day and age where. Where we just got over this hump of you know not using only hymns, now it's gone to this whole entertainment level where it's all you know big speakers, lights, big stages, and all that, and it's great. But you know sometimes it's just nice to get back to the good old fashioned church basement worship, like he's like he's saying there. So gonna check that song out. Good stuff. I definitely want to do. Let's um a little. Uh, would you rather? Would you rather? No. Now, I wanted to play this game again because <laughs> Rick has came up has come up with a, another thinker. So, Rick, if you would indulge us. Certainly, certainly. So, uh, this first would you rather kind of a hectic one here. Uh, God sometimes puts his children in awkward positions where they've got to make some, you know, tough choices. And so my would you rather for today is would you rather uh, tell your husband or, well, not husband, your fiance, oh, by the way, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant and, um, well, God's the father, really? Or would you rather have to explain to your wife, uh, honey, I hate to tell you this, but God told me to take our son up on the mountain and sacrifice him. <laughs> so let me give you a little biblical perspective of that. So obviously the uh, the pregnant with the son of God, he's making a reference to being Mary in that Mary situation. And, that's right, the virgin birth. Or right? the other one, which is uh, Abraham. Abraham taking his son up on the mountain to sacrifice his son. However, in the Bible, there's nothing in there that tells us that Abraham told his wife up front what this his is true. was. This is true. So, we don't know for sure, but, uh, you know. I, I cannot imagine his wife agreeing to that <laughs> after, the, uh, after what they went through to get to the point of being able to have a son at 100 years of age. Now, we can't, you know, we, we're not talking about the end of the story now. We're talking about, you know, hey. God has just asked me to bear Jesus and to go tell, you know, my husband or my fiance that I'm pregnant, but I'm pregnant by God. Or Abraham saying, okay, I got to go up on the mountain, uh, honey. Um, I'll be back in a bit. What you doing? Well, I just have to take Isaac up on the mountain and God said to sacrifice him. So what would you rather do? I actually had a vision of this um i was like uh, uh, i had to sacrifice my son and uh it was a, it must have been a dream or something oh my um my 22 year old son <laughs> which is something i could never do well you know remember the end of the story now uh obviously yeah. abraham 
was only being tested. It was God, a test. Right. God, you know, makes he's him stalking. wait all those years. Yeah. He's an old man now. Sarah's old. And he says, guess what? I'm going to give you a son. All right. And so they hang out. They have faith. And now they finally get a son. Actually, I skipped a couple of steps because, you know, they tried to do things their own way. Well, now they finally have a son. And God says, okay, let me just see how much you love me. Let me see how much you trust me. Abraham, I want you to go up on the mountain and sacrifice your son. Let's see what he does. But we have to remember, God never intended for it's, him. I don't the, know, he do, never intended for him to sacrifice Does the story actually say, go sacrifice your son, or does it say, take your son up on the mountain and perform a sacrifice? You know, I'll be honest, I don't recall the exact verbiage. So the reason why I say that is because I don't necessarily... It, it, one thing we know for sure about God is that his, he never changes. So... With that in mind, I can't see and never an unchanging God saying that particular uh, thing: take your son and sacrifice him. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Well, I have to look that one up. Yeah, I guess. doing some research. Yeah, I was gonna say. Now I've got to just uh, got to look it up here. So while you're However, looking that up, oh, go ahead. During the New Testament, Christ very clearly tells us in the Book of Matthew that if you love your son or your daughter more than you love me, you are not worthy of me. It's in chapter ten. Uh, check it out. The uh, that's the test that Abraham was put through. Do mm-hmm. you love your son more than you love me now that you have your son? Right. And Abraham passed the test with flying colors. He had every intention of going up there, and, and if, if it was his, if it was God's will, the sacrifice would have been Abraham's son. Right. But God saw his heart and provided the lamb instead. Right. So here's uh, the verbiage here. So this is from the English standard. It's just the first thing to come up here. So after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on uh on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Okay. So that's pretty direct. That it's pretty is pretty straightforward. Direct. Yeah. Yeah. So now back to would you rather? Okay, so we don't know the end of the story. That's right. You don't know how we it's going to end. How it ends. You just know you got to tell your wife, and because she, you know, she's she's wondering what you're doing with that knife, and you know why you taking Isaac out, or or you can tell, or you can tell your she, she tells, husband that you are pregnant, and that uh, oh, by the way, it, it's it's God. Don't worry. Yeah. So an angel came and and clarified this with Joseph. Correct. That he did. Yes, right. You so, don't know that. But well, we don't know that. You that's know another that. end of the story. That's, kind of thing. <laughs> that's right. So, okay. So if, um, I mean, I'm a man, so it'd be kind of like, would I rather have my wife tell me she got pregnant by God? Yeah, you got to kind of put it in your sex, sex right? right? I get you. Now, as a fleshly man, an unchrist follower, an un- non-Christian, I would not like that because we're very jealous creatures and and it just wouldn't fly yeah but as a christian and knowing my wife has the equal yokes and knowing that i would never step outside the marriage and i know she would never step outside the marriage i would probably believe her 
knowing how God works. Hmm. So I would rather that than put, get put to the test to sacrifice my son. I'm yeah. never, I, I'm going to need that dream from the angel. That's just my history speaking. But I can tell you the, as, it, as for the kid, sacrificing the kid, uh, are, are they teenagers? Is, is it? Is you? Are you allowed to assume the kid is a teenager? Because that makes my decision a little easier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna say no. Okay. I don't think uh, Isaac was that old. <laughs> so, all joking aside, um, if God called me to be that obedient, I would like to think that I would be. I would be that obedient. Would it be tough? Yes. But I also have enough faith in God that I know that, especially since I do know the characteristics of God and I, I know how unchanging he is, that that is not in his nature to do that for the beyond testing purposes. Right. So I, I, would, I would feel more comfortable doing that. Now, Abraham doing it without that knowledge, mm. that's real faith. Yeah, he don't have the right. knowledge we have. He right. doesn't have the knowledge we have, right? That's real faith that he wanted a son, never had one for years, finally gets one. God says, I want you to sacrifice him. And he's like, whatever you say, God, you're more important. That's, that's real faith right there. You can see why he is the patriarch. Exactly. It's pretty amazing. Exactly. I, you know, as for me, I would definitely take, uh, you know, explaining why I was pregnant, you know, assuming I'm a woman, of course. Um, as much as I would hope that my, I guess in this case, husband, because <laughs> I'm now a woman in this story, um, as much as I would hope that, that uh, he would trust me, even if he doesn't, I could, I could live with that more than having to say, honey, I've got to go kill the child, you know? That, that's just, that would be way too difficult of a conversation. Right. Well, I would hope for trust, but I, you know, how do you get her to trust me? Really? God just said, kill him. Really? You're not stepping foot outside <laughs> this house. Notice how, notice how Abraham took his actions with the intent to apologize later rather than ask for permission first. I will throw that out. There. Yeah, which is words live by. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we don't really know if, uh, if he you know, shared with his wife or not. I don't. It's not really uh, said. That didn't it's happen. not. <laughs> you know, I would assume he did You'd not. You have to read into it to draw that conclusion. It is true, but you you would have to. You know, well, that's not something you can't you bring say up it didn't happen either at dinner. No, you can't say that it didn't. You happen. can't say that it didn't happen, but we certainly can't prove that it did. Right? Absolutely, it can go right. either way. So, but this is would you rather? This is not Bible trivia. So. Right? <laughs> true. <laughs> true. Anywho. Anywho. Well, that was interesting. And this is all the time we have. Boo! Folks, thanks so much for joining. Sorry we couldn't finish the interview with Josh. Be sure to share with your friends and subscribe to the show. And rate the show, if you haven't, on Apple Podcast. We appreciate you more than you know. And in the words of Stellar Cart, don't forget, Jesus loves you. <laughs> yes, he does. For the Bible tells me so. Oh, wait. That's not That's, not, that's a different song. Okay. Say goodnight, Rick. Good night, Rick. Good night, Nate. Good night, Nate. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>